Amen. Well, if you are thankful today that the Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh, and that today we celebrate that we are united, not because we are all the same, but even in all of our rich and beautiful diversity, the Lord is making us one body in the power of His Spirit. And if you're thankful for that say, today, say amen. Amen. I'd invite you to take a Bible today and turn with me to the book of Revelation during this Easter season and now Pentecost and Trinity Sundays, uh, we will uh, continue to look at the book of Revelation. Today we're in Revelation chapter 21. As you turn there, um, today is Pentecost Sunday and next Sunday is what's called Trinity Sunday. As we are shaped by the liturgical rhythms of the year, it, it really is the end of kind of the formal seasons of the liturgical year. If you haven't been paying attention, this is kind of what we've been trying to do. Back in late November, early December, we entered into a season that's really a season of fasting, the season of Advent, as we realize, oh, we really need the Lord to come. And so we cry out and invite the Lord to come. And then we have a whole season, really, of kind of feasting and celebrating um, Christmas all the way through Epiphany. And then we enter into a, another season of fasting as we stand beneath the shadow of the cross and recognize all of our sin and brokenness. But then we've been in the season where we celebrate again and again that he is risen indeed. And that sin and darkness and evil and death do not get the last word. But the resurrection life and love and grace and mercy of Christ has the final word. And so thanks be to God. In a couple of weeks, we enter into what's called ordinary time. And that doesn't mean that you get to skip or that it's just ordinary. It means maybe we should take some months and figure out how to order our lives in the light of everything that we've just experienced and celebrated. And, and how do we order our life in the light of the new creation? And then we'll get ready and do it all over again. But, but these two Sundays here at the end oftentimes are overlooked. Um, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the church, and then next week, the celebration that, that God has revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from the very beginning... God, the Father has made space for the Son, and the Son made space for the Spirit, that, that when we say God is love, there is this very community of love that is the mystery of the one God. But that God who invites us then to enter into that relationship of love with God and with each other, it's powerful. And so, um, so it's good that we celebrate these two weeks. And, and perhaps it's good then that we look at two chapters this week and next week that I think get overlooked a lot. In fact, um, borrowing a line from Andy Crouch, Andy says, sometimes we have a tendency as Christians to cut off the first two chapters of the scripture and the last two chapters. And when we do that, we end up with a slightly different story. When we cut off the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, we end up starting at Genesis 3 with the fall of humankind. And then everything's just kind of a sinful mess, chaos and tohu bohu. Um, but if we put those first two chapters back on, we actually start with a story about the goodness of creation and God's love and purposefulness for all that has been created and formed. And then if we cut off the last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, our story ends at the lake of fire. And so we get the story of starts with sin and ends with death. And it ends with punishment and wrath. But if we put the last two chapters on, as we'll see today and next week, as we put the last two chapters on, we end with an amazing story 
not just of a creation that is good, but a creation that is renewed. And the new creation. We, we use those terms a bit around here. The new creation. And, and this beautiful picture of God's purposes for all things. And so this morning, I, I want to invite you into the beginning of that chapter 21. I, I just want to read verses 1 through 5. And if you're with us this morning and able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the Lord's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Mm. And death will be no more. And there will be no mourning and crying or, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There was a commercial that I remember uh, as a kid. It had like three or four different versions of it. And most of you in the room are old enough to remember it too. Um, there are two people walking down the street headed for each other. One, for some reason, is eating straight out of a jar of peanut butter. And another is walking down the street eating a chocolate bar. And they're so transfixed with what they're eating that they don't see each other. So they bang and crash into each other. And then they look startled and one says, hey, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. And the other says, well, wait a minute, you got your peanut butter on my chocolate. And then they taste it and say, oh, oh, oh behold, the new has come. Uh, I say, hey, this is really good, right? Reese's peanut butter cups, the new creation come together. Chocolate and peanut butter, a new revelation. Um, in some ways this morning, as we look at Revelation 21, I, I want you to picture two entities coming together. We have this picture, the new Jerusalem, uh, heaven, the place of God's reign, the, the throne room that way earlier in Revelation, the revelator got to step in and see all creation gathered around the one who is seated on the throne, giving honor and glory to the Lamb. Oh, the place where things are the way God intends them to be. But then there is the old creation, broken, fragmented, sinful. But in the picture of Revelation 21 and 22, and, and this is important, it's not so much we got to get from here to over there. It is this picture of these two things being brought together. Now, I would argue with you this morning, it, it doesn't just happen in the book of Revelation. It actually happens a few times in the scripture. These moments and places where, if you will, heaven and earth cross over, where heaven and earth kiss, where they, they intersect, where the old begins to be made new. In the Old Testament, oftentimes the vision of the temple is, the temple is that place. It is 
especially the Holy of Holies, where the unique presence of God enters into the created world. It's not that God is absent from the created world, but there's this unique space where the two are coming together. And the hope is that they just wouldn't stay there, but somehow that presence, that unique presence would begin to radiate out from the temple. Ezekiel especially has a vision of the the temple springing a leak. And that, we'll see it again next week, the water is beginning to bring new life and new creation into the world. Certainly in the New Testament, perhaps the most important person or place where that comes together is in the incarnation. That as... John celebrates in that great prologue to the gospel, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Actually, the the word is literally tabernacled. That vision of the temple or that place where the unique presence of God is coming together with the creation is now in Christ Jesus. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And today on the day of Pentecost, we celebrate that now the Spirit of God has been given to us so that we as a people become that embodiment, that place where heaven and earth are kissing, where they're meeting together, where the new creation is beginning to flourish and break out in the world. Are you with me this morning? And so what we have in Revelation 21 is the conclusion of that, the hope that this isn't just futile speculation or futile work, but it is all coming together. It is merging together. And that is the great vision that that drives John in the early church? Are these two coming together? Now, as I think about that this morning, I've been thinking a lot about how um, this is my third time to try to preach through Revelation. It's interesting to me, it's always been nine years apart. (laughs) Always takes me a while to recover. In 2004, in in my first uh, senior pastor in Richardson, I decided to preach through the book of Revelation. Actually, I think we took 34 weeks through Revelation. I remember about week five, this wonderful, sweet woman in the church came to me and she goes, now, pastor, how long are we going to be in Revelation? And I said, well, about 29 more weeks. And she gave me this look like, I'll see you in six months, right? Like, I'm going to, it's a Baptist church down the street. Um, Nine years later, in 2013, I, I, I shortened it a bit. We got to 26 weeks. Um, and I went through it, uh, Revelation with, with the folks in Pasadena. Similarly, this wonderful gentleman I remember came to me about week eight. and said, Pastor, I find this stuff interesting. But I need to tell you, I don't know if I need Revelation as much as I need Jesus. And I was like, oh, bless your heart. Um, I was hoping there was some Jesus in there, but... But all of that to say, you only have had to endure eight weeks. And we've tried to kind of make our way through this. But as we are journeying, and Pastor Grant's going to pick up and take up up week eight for me next week. But as we have journeyed through these texts, there are some things in this journey, and my love for this book, there are some things that haven't really changed. And I'll say, the one thing that really has not changed is that each time that I've led folks through this study, I have wanted, and I ha- the older I get, the, the less I am able to hide this. But I really have wanted you to exchange a kind of fear of revelation and a, a speculative reading that treats revelation as though what we are getting are historical predictions. 
and trade that for reading and studying Revelation in a way that sees it not as historical predictions, but as theological pictures, inspired in order to help us see what God not only has created us to be now, but what God intends for us to be into the future. For example, and we don't have time to do this this morning, but but if I had a big whiteboard, I would love to kind of go through these five verses. And in just these five verses, scholars think there's at least 12 references to Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. That the Revelator is taking this amazing prophetic hopes and language and putting that all together and giving us this amazing theological picture of heaven and earth joining together as one. But as I think about that, here's some of the things I've wanted you to take from these weeks together. First of all, in the future, when somebody brings up the mark of the beast to you, just say, you know, I'm not that worried because I'm already marked by the lamb. Thanks be to God. Let's move along. And I, I know this is dangerous, but I hope you know this. We got through Revelation and not once did we talk about the Antichrist. And part of it's because he's not there. If you don't believe me, pull up Bible Gateway, do a word search. He's not there. In order to get him there, you have to pull some stuff from John's other letters. But even there, the Antichrist is not so much a person as a spirit, and there's not just one, but there's a bunch. That's another sermon series. And I, I, you know, I know it's messy, but we got through Revelation, and I hope you noticed nobody went anywhere. Nobody went anywhere. In fact, I would argue the opposite. The dead just keep coming back. And rather than us going somewhere, the new creation came to us. And and so that's the same for me. And, And I hope that you've learned to love Revelation for what it is. And that it can truly be transformative in your life. But there are two areas that in some ways are the same, but I've realized this third time through, and maybe it's just getting older, there's a little bit of difference in my heart. And and these are the two areas I really want to focus on with you this morning. The first is this, judgment and grace. Judgment and grace. In the past, and, and as we've looked through these texts, I have rightly emphasized that in Revelation we get amazing pictures of God's grace at work. Several of you have said this to me, especially some who came to the Wednesday night sessions as well. I've had several people say to me, Pastor, this has been so much fun. I don't think I'm scared of Revelation anymore. Uh, Thanks be to God. (laughs) That's a good thing. But we have tried to celebrate again and again these pictures of grace in Revelation. So some of the things I hope get not only in your mind, but in your heart. That in the opening of the book, in the opening of the vision, when when the revelator sees the one seated on the throne with the scroll that no one can undo and undo the seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He can open the seals. But when he looks, this is such an amazing picture of grace. The lion is the lamb that's been slain. And it is Christ, it is the embodiment of God's self-giving love that has the ability to bring all things to God's glorious conclusion. And that is an amazing picture of grace. And you are now to be marked by and be reflections of that amazing vision of grace that we see there. And I hope you got this too. There are judgments in Revelation. In fact, there's three cycles of them. We get seals and then we get trumpets. We almost get thunders, but then God says, ah, never mind, seal those up. And then we get bowls. And each of those seven come with various forms of judgment. 
But one of the things I hope you remember about the study is every time judgment comes, what happens in the world? Nothing. Nobody repents. Like Pharaoh and his hard heart before Moses, nothing changes. But in those three or four chapters where John pictures a people who eat the scroll or who are measured out as the temple, who become the embodiment of the law and the prophets in the world, almost the entire creation comes to Christ. It's an amazing vision of grace. Even in the final battle scenes, which we did skip, sometime go back and read chapter 20 this week. Evil is finally defeated in a great battle. But even there, when Christ comes riding into battle, he comes with no weapons in his hands. The only weapon he has is a sword coming out of his mouth. And he comes not to do battle and to have the blood of the enemy upon him. He rides into battle with his blood already on him. Which is this powerful theological symbol of how we believe transformation happens through self-giving love. And it is the martyrs who are on the front line of transformation in this kingdom. Are you with me? Like, ah, thanks, mom. That was really good. <laughs> it's really good. But, but nevertheless, I, I have wanted you to get that as we've gone through Revelation, picture after picture after picture of grace, of grace, of grace. However, this time through, I've been reminded, though, of the necessity of judgment. For as the new creation breaks into the old, as they are merged together, there is all this newness and beauty that comes. And we didn't read it today, but sometime read, well, I'll go ahead and read it for you. Verse 8 of this, chapter 21. But the cowardly, the faithless, the vile, the murderers, those who commit sexual immorality, those who use drugs and cast spells, the idolaters, the liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire. Maybe it's this moment that we find ourselves in. I so want to affirm all of the yeses that come with the new creation. But I also want to acknowledge all the no's, the divine no's that come with the new creation as well. Amen. And maybe it's been a couple of years shaped by disease and just way too much death. Something in me cries, yes, God, say no to disease and death. And maybe it's in the wake of disease and death and our unbelievable ability to take what is so powerful and broken and magnify it by turning it into division. And maybe it's the violence that we keep seeing each day. And maybe it's the, the brokenness and the, the sinfulness. And I wish, the, the preacher in me wishes I could say today, and look at all of that out there. God's going to say no to all of that. And yet each day it feels like again and again the church has to confess that it is not out there, it is in here. And offer our own confessions to God. 
And to acknowledge that when the new comes, it is not just the yes of grace, but it is the no to sin. It is the no to death. It is the no to those things that bring destruction in our lives and in the lives of others. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The other has to do with what I'll call embodiment and transcendence. So if there's a part that in these journeys through Revelation, I have over and over tried to emphasize, it's what I'll call embodiment. And, and maybe it's, let me go back for just a minute. Maybe it's um, sometimes growing up in settings where I just was so afraid of God that I needed a kind of corrective that emphasized the grace and mercy of God towards us. But again, as John points out in the prologue, what we see in Jesus is one who brings together grace and truth. I've said this to you before, but I'll say it again. Truth without grace just comes off as ugly legalism. But grace without truth just becomes a kind of sentimentality that just continues to receive the broken things into our lives that destroy us and destroy others. But I think maybe because I um, was often also in my imagination saw so much of what Revelation was trying to do as getting us out of here and such a denial of what it means to be a community or what it means to be a body or what it means to work for things now. Why would we work for things now when we're just going to get out of here anyway? And so because of that, I feel like I've, I've tried to emphasize embodiment and and I fought against that otherworldliness. And so I want you to see in the text things like this. There is a groaning of creation that Paul sees that is fulfilled as the whole creation is made new. And really get this. There is nothing about us going here. This comes to us. The new Jerusalem comes down. There's very little escapism in Revelation. It is all about resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies. I love in Revelation, humans are given jobs. And they're all, I wish I would have known this while Papa was still alive. I've told you I had a great conversation with my grandfather one day where he says, I don't want to go to heaven. It's just floating and singing. <laughs> I don't think there's any golf, Scott, in heaven. I don't want to go there. I wish I knew more about Revelation. And I said, no, Papa, we get jobs. It's about being priests and gardeners and dominioners. It's we're restored to the tasks of creation that we were given to do, and therefore the tasks that we do now matter. And here's the part that I love most. As this new creation comes, I think that Christianity is the only world religion that pictures eternity not as, and I, I know this will offend some farmers, but not as rural. It pictures it as Californians moving in all around. Just kidding. <laughs> Housing prices shooting. Um, <laughs> no, it's fascinating. Many other religions picture whatever is to come is a return, in a sense, to the garden. Let's go back to Eden, take off all our clothes, and get back to Eden. The picture of the new creation is of a city, a garden that becomes a city. The new creation looks like a condo down on the green belt with great restaurants all around. 
It looks like diversity of languages and cultures. All that we have done that is God honoring enters into that great city as the kings of the earth bring their treasures before the Lord. It's a powerful picture. It's an embodied picture. It's a picture that says we are to be doing something now. I got to tell you one quick story. I, uh, I think about this every time we get to this. Years ago, I got a chance to, to meet N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright was uh, lecturing at Fuller, and Paznaz got to be the host. And he was talking about our hopes and, and where we're headed. And people were asking questions, and, and we'd had a time of worship right before it. And in that time of worship, we sang that great hymn, How Great Thou Art. And he made the comment, he said, you know, when I was Bishop of Durham, I got to, I got to form the liturgy. He said, I, between you and me, he said, don't tell anybody, but I've told everybody. Don't tell anybody, but I would rewrite some hymns every once in a while. He said, in fact, we sang one tonight that I rewrote a little. He said, I love the hymn. Don't take me wrong. I love how great thou art. But there's a line in the last verse, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. He said, in light of what we're talking about here and the vision of the new creation coming to us, he said, I changed the line to say, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and heal the world. What joy shall fill my heart? I love that line. I'll never change it because I'm not N.T. Wright. Um, but, but I love the image of the embodiment of this new creation. However, this time through, maybe it's that I spend a lot of time with a generation that I feel like has been so shaped to see this as all that there is. And to be in a moment philosophically and culturally where there's just no space for transcendence. That rather than just emphasizing the embodiment of this part, there's a part of me that just wants to embrace that the transcendent has to come. And especially in this way, maybe it is that I'm just kind of getting old and I realize so much of what we are as a church is actually not dependent upon us. Now don't misunderstand me. I can totally get in the way and you totally can get in the way. And we can do the wrong things. And I think it's important for me to understand like management and to get the right players, to get, you know, to get the right staff and to have the right programming and to think about our community and how to reach them. But here's what I've come to really understand and know. All of that is just simply preparing ourselves for God to come. And that all of that work ultimately is futile and meaningless if God does not come and make all things new. And I've realized that we are primarily called to waiting, but not waiting like we're in a doctor's office, waiting for the action to happen. But our waiting is a waiting of preparation and doing justice and loving mercy and and making ourselves available for that which can only come from God to come and to make all things new. I have to tell you, that's such a relief for me to know that ultimately the coming of the new creation is not something we do. It is something we enter into and participate in, but it is the act of God. And we make ourselves available to the God who has come and is coming and perhaps, 
Perhaps that's why it is, it is right that we end around the table this morning. For as we gather around the table this morning, we're, we're enacting a couple of things. We are enacting the grace of God. And can I say to you, if you're a guest today, as we participate in this meal, you are welcome to participate. Now, I have to say, I've gotten in trouble for that um, more than once. For making the table open to all. But in our liturgy, in the liturgical service, we say every morning, no membership or preparation is necessary apart from this. Apart from our knowledge that we need the grace of the Lord. And so can I say about this table, participation in this meal today is free, but it is not cheap. It is free, but it is not cheap. It is a grace that says yes to us, but it's a grace that changes us and says no to the things that break us. And then finally, as we gather, we gather around the kind of mystery. In fact, I could bore you with church history today. A lot of our denominational divides, especially a few centuries ago, were over what's happening here. Is this bread just bread? And is this cup just cup? Or like, when I pray over this in just a moment, what happens to this stuff? And we use fancy words like transubstantiation and consubstantiation, and it'll be on the test. But, um, but it's always to try to say, it's really fascinating when we gather together and Christ is with us and offers Christ's self to us. This bread will still just be bread. This juice will still just be juice. But the transcendent God who made himself flesh in Christ is more than willing to make himself present in the everyday stuff of bread and cup. Which means that everyday folks like us can also be made into the mysterious vessel through which Christ works in the world. And so we come today to pray, oh God, Bring the new into the old and begin right here with us. God, we thank you today for the invitation to be your people. I'm so thankful for the grace that says yes to us today, but also the grace that says no to the sin that destroys us. And I'm so thankful today that the goal for us is not to somehow get out of this body in order to become what you want us to be. But the mystery of holiness is that by the gift of your spirit, you can begin to make us what, we, what you want us to be now, the body of Christ. And so we enact that mystery today. Grace that is free but not cheap. Grace that finds itself in the very common things of bread and cup but a grace that is so uncommon. So make us what we eat today. Make us a foretaste of the new creation. Make us the body of Christ. Come, 
Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come in thine own gentle I'm going to invite those who are going to help us this morning to come at this time. The elements will come by and I invite you to take a piece of bread and cup this morning and hang on to it because we will take this meal together. Let's sing together as we're served this morning.
Did you guys get served? All right. Would you hold the elements out in front of you? Let me pray a prayer of blessing. Our Savior, we hold in front of us very common things. but very common things that have become a very uncommon means of grace to us today. And so we offer the commonness of our life to you. Invite you to say no to those things that break us and say yes to those things that are reflections of who you are. So may we become the uncommon common today. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. He raised it, gave thanks, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us take and eat in remembrance of him. When supper was over, he took the cup, he blessed it. So this is my blood, which is poured out for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink as we invite the new creation to take hold in us today. May it be so, we pray. May we be the body of Christ for the sake of the world. And God's people said, amen. Would you stand with us?
Thanks for being with us uh, this morning. And those of you online, thanks for joining in. I, I want to bring just one quick greeting. Uh, Tim and Laura, huh, Tim, there you are. Uh, Tim Hahn has joined us uh, across the street in the theology faculty. It's great to have you and your family in Nampa, so welcome. And uh, Roger and Dorothy and Matthew, great to have you guys with us too today. Um, so Roger is a theologian, and he was at the seminary for a long, long time. And so this is a little like exam day for me. <laughs> so don't mess this up. If you listened well this morning, when the new comes, and someday it will come in its fullness. But when it comes now, and says yes to the good and no to the things that bring destruction. And it empowers us to be what we were created to be. Nazarenes, we have a word for that. Did you know that? It's the... Yeah, that was, that was okay. That's pretty good. That's why this benediction's for us this morning. May the God of peace himself, may he make you new. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, your body be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who keeps calling us, he is faithful and he will finish this work in us. And God's people said, amen. amen. Go in his peace. <laughs>